Good morning from me. I am glad to be here this morning. Um, I'm going to continue our walk through the book of Acts, picking up where Jim left off last week. So last week we saw Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways after a bust up around who to take with them to go and visit some of the churches. And you can find that talk on the podcast. Um, so we're picking up with the story of, of Paul, who is now traveling with Silas and Timothy. And um, so the passage is Acts 16, verse 6 to 15. And Claire is going to come and read it for us. Okay, so it's, um, I'll be reading Acts 16, verses 6 through 15. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to My- <clears throat> Mysia and attempted to go into B- Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus <laughs> did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Tro- Troas, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of um, Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Thank you. Good job. Lots of place names. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) All right. So we're just going to take a walk through this passage. Um, I have one theme to share with you that runs through it all, um, which is it is God's mission and we are partners in it. And you're going to hear that a lot this morning. It is my only point. (laughs) (laughs) Say it again. (laughs) I will. You'll be bored of it by the end. So we're going to yeah, start at the beginning, um, and I'll just offer you the questions it stirred up in me and my reflections and thoughts and any conclusions that I came to. Um, so first, we're going to look at just verse, the first couple of verses, and there, I have a map on the screen. Where's my pointy? I've got a laser as well, just to get our um, bearings of where they're traveling to, even color-coded it. Um, so here's, there's Galatia and Phrygia. And so they went through these places because they were forbidden to speak the word in Asia, which is um, modern-day Turkey. And they came up to Mysia here. And they tried to go this way into Bithynia. And the spirit said no again. 
So they went to Troas, which is just right here, and that's where we'll pause for just now. We'll look at the first half first. Um, so the first question that I'd like to address is, why did the Holy Spirit forbid them from preaching to Asia and also Bithynia? Preaching the gospel to places that haven't yet heard it seems like a pretty good idea. It did seem so to Paul. But I was reminded of a verse that we read a couple of weeks ago in Acts 15, verse 28, um, where they were like making decisions, and it says, it seemed good to them and to the Holy Spirit, which seems like a pretty good principle for decision-making. In today's passage, it seemed good to them to go and preach in these areas, but it sounds like that isn't enough. We are in a partnership with God, so sometimes what seems to make sense to us, what is logical in the natural, doesn't necessarily line up with what is going on in the supernatural. And that may be unclear to us why, but God has the full picture and we don't. It is God's mission and we get to partner with him. So why didn't it seem good to the Holy Spirit? I've come up with a few possibilities of why I think it could be. I honestly don't think that God didn't want the people of Asia to hear the gospel. And actually on Paul's third missionary journey, that was one of the areas that they traveled to, planting churches. But perhaps if they'd gone this time round, they would have hit some more opposition. Or maybe the people weren't ready to hear just yet. Maybe there were softer hearts elsewhere that were ready to hear and receive the gospel. Or maybe there was something that had to happen in these places before going into Asia. At the end of the day, we don't really know, but I trust that God knew what he was doing, just as he does now. I think possibly a more helpful question to consider is how. How did they hear the Holy Spirit forbid them? How do we even hear the Holy Spirit? Was it a booming voice coming from outside? Unlikely. A gut feeling? Maybe. A thought that popped into their head that was strong but just didn't quite feel like their own? Perhaps. I've experienced the Holy Spirit speaking to me in lots of ways and through lots of people, but never in a way that was as abrupt as this passage sounds. So I decided to do some research, and by that I mean talk to Jim, because <laughs> <laughs> I knew that he had had an experience that is as close to this as I have heard. So I'm just going to share that story. If you're a regular attendee of Kingdom Vineyard, you know that the lease for our Vineyard Center, which is our offices, um, is about to be up, and we've been on the hunt for somewhere new. We felt so strongly that we were to really seek God in this, which also sounds like a good idea. And as part of this, we have been prayer walking around St. Andrews and around different buildings. On one occasion, Jim was walking alongside a building and thinking, oh, I wonder if this could be the one. Maybe if I walk around and pray um, on the property, I'll get some sort of sense from the Lord. So he turned off the pavement, stepped onto this 
sight. Um, And as soon as he put his foot down, he suddenly had a deep conviction in his gut that he shouldn't be on this land. Jim said it was sudden, it was sharp, and had a certainty to it that appeared in an instant, but was very forceful. In his head, he knew it was God. God was giving him a very clear and stern stop sign. But like a parent telling a child to stop before touching a kettle, it was stern but not angry. I have another example that's a little bit less forceful sounding and probably a more common experience for us, and that is Phil. He is one of our um, preaching team members and is preparing a sermon for a couple weeks' time. And he was telling me that um, with this passage, he has been like, oh, I could say this or we could take it this way. Um, And the Holy Spirit said no. Um, And his experience of this was just a real uneasiness and a lack of peace about it. The Holy Spirit speaks in so many ways. And if you're coming along to our evening services, you'll be hearing more about that. But even more importantly, I think it's not why or how he speaks, but that he speaks. He is an active, speaking, thinking leader of this mission. We can and should expect him to speak, to tell us where not to go as well as where to go. The Holy Spirit is no magic toolkit that we're packed off with and sent on our way without God. He is God himself coming along with us, leading us where he wants us to go and equipping us for the mission he is sending us on. It is God's mission, and we get to partner with him. After these two verses, read about Paul having a vision in the night of a man calling for help in Macedonia, which is verses 8 to 10. I find it interesting that as Paul, Silas, and Timothy were trying to take initiative and go and preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit was firm in saying no. Then after those no's, he gave Paul a pretty direct instruction. It raised the question for me of should we, like the first few verses, be attempting to go somewhere, speak to someone um, without direct instruction, or should we be waiting for some clear direction in the form of a word, a picture, or a vision, waiting to be led somewhere by God? On first reading, I felt like from this passage, you could argue the latter. They seemed to be more successful once God actually spoke to them because they just got no's everywhere else. To take this into today, let's talk about an evangelism context that we might find ourselves in, since most of us are not traveling around looking for new cities to preach the gospel to. But we do all have friends colleagues, neighbors, or anyone else who we could be speaking to about Jesus. So what should our approach be? Do we go ahead and speak to anyone who will listen? Or do we wait on the Lord and wait on instruction? I decided to phone a friend on this question. (laughs) And I spoke to Joel, who you may remember, He came over and preached here on Palm Sunday, um, and he told us a bunch of really powerful stories, 
So I highly recommend going back and finding that on the podcast on our website. God has used Joel in really powerful ways. And going back and re-listening to that talk always massively encourages me. Joel is part of Encounter School of Mission, which is um, the team at Cosby Coast Vineyard in Northern Ireland. And he helps to teach and lead people in outreach. So I wanted to ask him what approach they take when they're going out on the streets, streets, striking up conversations with people about Jesus and why they do that. Do they just go talk to anyone? Or do they wait for the Lord to lead them to a specific place or a specific person? The approach they take is everyone is fair game. <laughs> they will be out in the center of town and no one is off limits. And Joel said there's a few reasons for this, which I'll share with you. Firstly, waiting to be led is often an excuse to stand and do nothing, to not speak to anyone because God just didn't lead me to anyone today. That would be me. <laughs> oh, look, God's leading me back home to the peace and quiet. Secondly, sometimes going to people we feel led to actually ends up causing us to only speak to types of people or demographics of people that we have a preference for. And when we go after our own preferences, we can so often miss out on God's presence. And finally, in Joel's experience, so often you never know until you try. It isn't until you step out that you see that Jesus is in it. And just a little side note, this is the same for giving prophetic words. Confirmation comes from outside, so you have to speak it first. The rule for outreach that they go by at Esom is it's a green light for everyone until you get a red, and then you stop. It's God's mission, and we are partnering. I think that we are prone to forgetting that God trusts us, and that the Holy Spirit is in us. We forget that actually, if we're walking close with the Lord, our thoughts line up with his. And also, we need to remember that God is ever so kind. And when we step out in faith, he often blesses that step and meets us there. Reading this passage again after these conversations, I see Paul following the rule of going with a green light until he got a red. In Asia and Bithynia, he got a red light. But also let's acknowledge that God does sometimes, but not always, give us a conviction to speak to a certain person or go to a certain place, and we should be obedient and listen to those too. We need to listen to the no's and also the go's, but we don't have to wait for God to directly lead us somewhere before we do anything. It is God's mission that we are partnering with. Let's continue in our passage. And we'll have the map back up on the screen. So Paul has had this vision, and they concluded that he, they, that he was calling them to Macedonia. So they are in Troas, and then they get on a boat, and they sail to Samothrace, which is a little island. It's a handy stopover point for them on the journey 
into Neapolis, and then over to Philippi, which was one of the main cities in the area. So this is now going into um, Greece. Well, what is Greece for us now? When it came to the Sabbath, and this is verse 13, they went out looking for a place to worship. This verse tells us that there was likely no synagogue in Philippi because they head down to a riverside. Um, and this means that there was unlikely enough Jewish men in the city to warrant having a synagogue. Where this was the case, it was common for people to have a meeting place, a place of prayer, down at the riverside, as it made it easier when it came to ritual washings. So given this context, it made sense that Paul and his co-workers, um, when they realized that there was no synagogue, their natural inclination was to go down to the river. Again, just to pause briefly, we know the Holy Spirit was rather direct in leading them to Philippi, but this is also a great example of Paul just using his common sense. They got to a city, they wanted to go preach the gospel, there was no synagogue, so off to the riverside. It's a great example of seeing what was going on in the natural to inform their next moves. This is actually also why we pray with our eyes open in this church. We can see so much of what God is doing with our natural senses. There are often physical signs of people meeting with Jesus that you can just see. Anyway, verse 14, we are introduced to a woman named Lydia. Lydia was a Gentile who believed and worshipped Yahweh, the one true God. She was a businesswoman from Thyatira, known for its business in dyeing cloth. And she was a seller of purple goods, which means she was likely wealthy, as anything purple did not come cheap. It says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged them, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. It said it's her household, which opens up the question that Lydia was possibly the headship of her home. It is named here as the household belonging to her, and there is no mention of her speaking to any father or husband, which would have been customary at the time on the invitation of Paul, Silas, and Timothy to come and stay with her. I'm not sure if you've seen it in the media this week, but it was the first thing I saw when I was on my phone on Monday morning, which is a video clip of a church conference which made jokes of women and women preaching. I understand that some churches have a different opinion on women's role in ministry than we do. And although I disagree with them, they love Jesus and so do I. And so we have that in common. What was in this video, however, was a lack of respect for women. But here in this passage, we can see Paul, the same Paul who wrote the words that so many dispute over, investing in women and investing in Lydia. He didn't see the group of women down by the river and think, nah, not worth it. Let's head to the next city. <laughs> he went over and spoke with them and honored them. And Lydia and her household are the first recorded believers in Europe. 
It was also this encounter with women that led to the beginnings of the Philippian church, the church that Paul loved so dearly. And not only that, we will see in Acts 16, verse 40, that it was Lydia's house that the Philippian church began. So it's quite possible she had some amount of influence in the Philippian church. It's God's mission, and we get to partner with it, even women too. I just want to go back to one thing that we are told about Lydia, and that is the little sentence that says, God opened her heart to pay attention. I want to nod to one of the bigger questions this opens up, um, and that is that we can see in scripture that God can and does get involved in the hearts of people. In Exodus, we find God hardening Pharaoh's heart, and here we can see him opening Lydia's. And I'm glad it's my job to deal with the latter this morning. (laughs) But what we see is that there is some involvement of God in salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, we are held responsible for our relationship with God. It's a really strange tension between it being God's work, but also we have free will and a part to play. And again, the reality is that we don't have all the answers about this and how it works. But I can tell you two ways that it doesn't work. And that's one, it is not the case that God does it all and tells us to to sit and twiddle our thumbs. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28, 19. And he says in Acts 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses. Two, it is not that God has given us an instruction manual and left us to it. He's not even given us a manual and a box of magic tricks and left us to it. God isn't sitting twiddling his thumbs either. In Acts 10, Peter is preaching to the Gentiles, somewhat wary, and the Holy Spirit comes on the congregation before he has even finished his sermon. God is at work. Also, the very fact that Jesus broke into this world is a pretty clear and obvious example of God being involved. God loves agency. He could do it all on his own, but in his kindness and Father's heart, he delights in sharing the family business with us. Which I would summarize as, it's God's mission and we are partners in it. What that means is we should continue to pray and ask for God to open the hearts of our friends, our colleagues, anyone and everyone around us, because God is in the business of bringing people back to him. I find this verse rather encouraging. It reminds me that the heavy lifting is not my job. When someone's heart appears to be closed, It's not my responsibility to pry it open. Doesn't mean that we have no responsibility, however. God chose us to be partners in his mission. So our job is to be faithful in sharing the gospel, providing opportunities for people to respond. We get to work with God to bring in his kingdom. 
And what a relief that it doesn't all fall on our shoulders, but we have the exciting opportunity to be a part of the journey. It also means all of the glory goes to God at someone's salvation. I have had the absolute joy of being a part in a couple people coming to know Jesus, but that glory isn't mine. It was God's mission that I got to be a part of. It's a humble reminder that we are not the savior, but we do get to introduce people to him. It is God's mission and we are partners in it. So why don't you stand and I'll, we'll just pray. We're gonna have a time of ministry now, um, which is just an opportunity to come and receive prayer. If you're like me and stepping out makes you absolutely terrified, there's a place for you at the front this morning. Or if you're the opposite end and you just cannot wait to get out, there's also a place for you here. (laughs) And if you just need a touch of God, if you just need anything at all, we would love to stand with you and pray with you. So in a moment when the band begins, just come on forward and members of our home groups will come and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are on the move. That you don't leave us by ourselves. Thank you that you did choose us to work with you and for the absolute privilege that that is. So come Holy Spirit and you just minister to us now. Amen.